Our Old Testament lesson is Psalm 100. The whole thing. And uh, this can be found on page 936 in your pew Bibles. It's Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. And before we read, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for this day that you have made. And God, we thank you for your word, which you have given to us. And Lord, this morning, uh, there are all kinds of things that might get in the way of us hearing your word. God, we pray that you would remove all obstacles, that we would be able to hear your word, that it would be your word for our lives today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 100, verses 1 through 5. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And then turning to the book we just cited in the children's sermon, the book of Philippians, in chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, uh, we hear from Paul who's writing from prison to the church in Philippi. And this is uh, someone who clearly understands that Jesus is the king over everything and that God is uh, still working in every situation, no matter what uh, Paul himself finds himself in. And so chapter 1, starting in verse 12, and we're just going to read through the end of uh, that paragraph ending in 18, even though it kind of continues. We're going to stop there. <laughs> anyway. Uh, starting in verse 12. He says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, as we continue our series in the book of John, uh, I'm going to take you where I've taken you week after week after week in this series, which is to the end of the book of John, in John chapter 20, the last verse where uh, John tells us why he's writing this. And the reason uh, that John says that he writes this book is the same reason that we're going through it now. And he said, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life 
in his name. And I bring that up again, this time though, for a little different reason than in the past. And before we've been bringing this up and it's like, okay, so we're going to see how it is that Jesus is uh, the Messiah and the son of God, that we uh, may have life in his name by believing in him. And yet um, today though, we're looking at a passage where Jesus is specifically talking to people who could have heard that verse and said, yeah, we're in. We, we believe that. And so it'd be like if we've been going through this uh, to this point, and you say, here's why we're going through this, so that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And we're like, sure, we believe that. And that he's the son of God. Sure, we believe that. So that you might have life in his name. Yeah, I guess we do then. Sure. And you may hear those things and get, as check boxes and say, sure, we'll check all those off. Then that's who we are. And then um, we get to the passage today. This is in John chapter 8. And Jesus is actually talking to a group of people who may have been themselves in that category. Here's the deal. As Jesus has been going and doing things, uh, everything he does, everything he says, points to his identity as the Messiah and the Son of God. And that's what we've been seeing throughout. And everywhere he goes, it seems like there are people who reject him as this and say that's not who he is. And there are others who believe in him and say, yeah, that's who he is. And a lot of the times when he is then getting into uh, kind of a argumentative sort of discussion with people. It's because they are the ones who have said, you know, we reject you. We don't think that's who you are. And he's having to say, no, come on now. And we'll see some more of that uh, in future weeks. But for this week, what he's, who he's talking to is the people who had just said in the previous verse, from what we're going to be looking at today, that many believed in him. And now we're going to look at the people who it says they believed in him. And yet, he's going to have to do some pretty delicate heart surgery on them to move them from where they think they are to where they really need to be. And so uh, for us today, if you are someone who has been saying, look, I get it. We're just supposed to be checking the boxes saying, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Yes, he's the son of God. I'm on board with that. Can we get on to something else now? <laughs> this may be the same sort of heart surgery that, uh, that you need as well. And so what we're going to do normally what I like to do is just read through the entire passage and then go back and sort of uh, pull out some particular things for us to, to look at a little closer. Today, we're not going to do that. And the reason for that is I want you to just be able to follow in the flow of the discussion, the back and forth that is being had with Jesus and these people so that hopefully um, this... <laughs> conversation he has with them, we can kind of find ourselves in the middle of it as well. Here's how this goes. This is uh, John chapter 8, starting in verse 31 and going on to 47. But uh, John chapter 8, starting in verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. That's good, isn't it? Isn't that nice? If if you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Go put that on a pillow somewhere. That is fantastic. Here's the thing. When Jesus says this, that's how they ought to respond. All right. If they are really his disciples... And Jesus says, here's what you need to do 
then anybody who's really uh, says, yes, he's the Messiah, yes, he's the Son of God, yes, he's the King of kings and Lord of lords, if that is who they believe that he is, and he says, here's what you need to do, and they should say, okay, we're all in. But the very people who just said they believe in him, that's not how they respond here. Here's how they respond. He says, uh, you hold my teaching, then you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answer him, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Do you hear this? Did they pick up on what he was talking about with holding to his teaching? Now they let that go. What about uh, being his disciples? Now they let that go. <laughs> what about knowing the truth? Now they let that go. <laughs> what was the part they zeroed in on? The slaves. Yeah, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they're like, we don't need to be set free. I'm going to nutshell this for us in a little different way. Basically, what Jesus is saying is, you need me. And they are saying, no, we don't. That's kind of what's happening here. Jesus says, if you know the truth, and you're, if you are really, hold my teaching, you're really my disciples, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. That is what you need. Yes, you say you believe in me, but let me tell you, this is what you need. And they say, yes, we say we believe in you, and we don't think we need you. Because we don't think that we're in slavery. And here, just a little aside, I think it's a little odd that they call back to Abraham on this. Like we're Abraham's descendants, we've never been slaves of anyone. Have they not read Exodus? I mean, who, who were the people who were in slavery in Egypt, but it was Abraham's descendants, right? That's a big part of this story. <laughs> In fact, it's something they would have celebrated every Passover as they're retelling this Exodus story and they are putting themselves back in the position of their forefathers as the descendants of Abraham who were slaves in Egypt when God set them free from that. And so for them to say, you know, we're Abraham's descendants. Abraham's descendants aren't slaves. Yeah, no, they really were. (laughs) Anyway, so a weird thing for them to call back to Abraham on this as a way of defending their freedom. But that's not what Jesus is talking about, is it? He's not talking about being slaves uh, to the Egyptians. He's talking about something else. So they say, how can you say that we shall be set free? And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now think about that. Everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now this right here, this is, kind of critical move number one as he's getting past their defenses and in to do this sort of heart surgery that they need. Because who is it uh, that has sinned? I mean, we saw that earlier in this same chapter when you have a group of people standing around a woman caught in adultery and they all end up having to drop their rocks and walk on home. Because everybody, besides Jesus, (laughs) a little later too, Everybody else has sin. And, uh, and he says, if that's who you are, then guess what? You're a slave. You're a slave to sin. And you need to be set free. And this, this is a direct attack on our own personal pride. Think about this. If there is sin in your life, it is... I think, pretty common to have the attitude of two things. Either 
you say, I need to be set free from this, or it's not really a problem. I can quit anytime I want, right? I don't need to be set free. But that line right there, I can quit anytime I want, is the stereotypical line of the alcoholic refusing treatment, isn't it? I can quit anytime I want. Okay, well then do it. Well, I don't really want right now. Okay. And then all the excuses start in as to why now is not really a good time. You know, if I wanted to, I could, but you know, it's been a long day or, you know, there, well, there's a, there's a party. You don't expect me not to drink at a wedding. And, you know, it's nine in the morning. You got to get started somehow. And one after another, the excuses come. I don't really have a problem here. And what Jesus is saying, and, you know, we can kind of laugh at something like that if it's distant, if it's pretty close, we don't laugh at that. And the thing that Jesus is saying is, it's pretty close to all of us. And for some people, it's alcohol. For some, it's something else. And for most of us, it's a lot of things. And what he's saying is, if that's where you are, if that's where you're living, you are actually a slave to sin. And if you are a slave to sin, then what you need is to be set free. And so he explains a little further. This is now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. That's what you need. You need me as the son, he says, to set you free. And that's not, by the way, freedom to do whatever you want. That's a freedom to be a part, a full part member of the family. Um, he goes back to their Abraham reference. They said they're Abraham's descendants, and he acknowledges that. I know that you're Abraham's descendants. He says, yet you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. And so now he makes this next move, where he contrasts his father and their father. He says, you're Abraham's descendants, biologically, and yet you don't do what Abraham did, which shows that Abraham is not who you can really claim as your father. And then we enter into uh, this kind of section of the passage. I almost titled this sermon, Who's Your Daddy? But that has different connotations. So we're not going to go that way. But it almost, this part of the the passage almost reads like a Maury Povich episode. I don't know if you remember Maury Povich had a talk show years ago where I think he used to do like talk showy things and then he just started doing paternity tests every episode or something. And that became sort of what he was known for. And that's where Jesus goes with this. It's like, let's do a paternity test. Right here, let's find out who your father is. And, but the way we're going to do this is not by DNA because he's actually like, that doesn't even matter as much. Here's what really matters. Is, are you, uh, are you reflecting who your father is? That's really going to be the case. Uh, this is where it comes down to the, sort of the actions speak louder than words kind of thing. Actions speak louder than the DNA in this case as well. And so if you're someone who says, look, I believe that um, healthy diet and regular exercise 
that is important. That is important to me. I believe that is the right way to live, and that is the way that I, uh, that I like to live as well. I think that is, that is good. And so you say, I believe this. But then at the same time, if you are, you know, sitting on the couch eating an entire cake and, while watching a movie marathon, you may have your ways of rationalizing that. Well, you know, it's just one day, it's one cake. And uh, I'll exercise tomorrow, it'll be fine. I still value those things. Those are still good things. I still believe that way. If you were to gather together a team of people where you have a doctor and a psychologist and a nutritionist and like a health coach, and they were to watch what you're doing and say, okay, tell us, does this person believe that good diet and exercise? Say, no, <laughs> no, they don't believe that. You want to say one thing and uh, then live another, but how you're living is what shows what you really believe. So you say you believe it's important, but your actions show, no, you don't really believe that. You're wanting to have your cake and eat it too. Okay. <clears throat> that was really just a build up to that joke. All right. <laughs> uh, not really. But the idea here is that Jesus is going to take a look. Okay, you say you believe and you say you're Abraham's kids, well, let's look at the facts. Let's look at the evidence. Let's open the DNA envelope and see, do you have Abraham's kind of DNA in you? Is that, uh, are you living as a child of Abraham or as someone else's child? Let's take a look. Um, So what you've heard from your father. Verse 39. They said, Abraham is our father, they answered. And he says, If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. All right, so we go back and we look at Abraham. When the word of God came to Abraham, did that make a difference in his life? It did. The first time we hear of this is Genesis chapter 12 when uh, God comes to Abram and just kind of out of nowhere says, leave your family, leave your country, leave your father's house, go to the land I will show you. In other words, drop everything, follow me, right? And can you imagine if Abraham at that point had been like, I believe you. That sounds fantastic, and uh, good luck with that. But I'm staying here. <laughs> of course not. And Jesus is saying, you know, this is the kind of thing that you're doing. You know, that honoring me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me, as Isaiah put it. It's when the word of God came to Abram, it made a difference in his life. When God comes to Abraham later and says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take Isaac, your son, whom you love, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. Well, now, you know, he's, he's already lost a lot. Now this is really taking the stakes up. And yet Abraham, does he do it? Does he start making moves toward the mountain to sacrifice? He does. When the word of God comes to Abraham, it makes a difference in his life. And when God comes to him then later and says, don't actually sacrifice your son. Does Abraham, well, you know, I was already going to, and we're already here, we might as well. no. When the word of God comes to Abraham, it makes a difference in his life. That doesn't mean that Abraham was perfect and he did have kind of ups and downs as we see the same thing with the disciples as they are following Jesus with their various ups and downs. But the point is, when the word of God came to Abraham, 
It made a difference in his life, in the way that he actually lived. And this is described for us in Genesis and picked up in the New Testament as well. It says that Abraham believed God and he credited it to him as righteousness. Like that what it was that made Abraham right with God is that he heard the word of God and he believed it. He believed that what God said is how it was. And therefore, he ordered his life accordingly. That then is the same people are saying in the New Testament that Jesus is talking to, they're saying, we're Abraham's kids. We, we've got it right with God because we're kids of him. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. When the word of God came to Abraham, it made a difference in his life. He actually believed. He didn't just say he believed. He really believed. But here's what's happening right now is I'm telling you what I have seen from my father. What I'm speaking to you is the word of God. And when it's coming into your life, it's actually not making any headway. It's not getting into your life at all. There is no change. You want to say that you believe and yet live like you don't. And that's not what Abraham did, is it? And so he said, instead, you're wanting to kill me. The very people. So they believe in him. And so again, he says, you're doing the works of your own father. Hmm. Who's he getting at? So they, they make another move themselves. And they say, we are not Ill, illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. <laughs> oh, come now. They have just shown that they are not living up to the standard of Abraham. <laughs> and they're like, mm, how about God? That's, that's whose children we are. That's who image we actually are uh, reflecting. Come on. And so Jesus does the same thing here with this response that he did when they said they were children of Abraham. And he said, you know, if you're really Abraham's children, you know, then you live like that. And now here again, he says, if he were, or if God were your father, uh, this is verse 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. Jesus is the one who has come from the Father, who tells what he has heard from the Father, who is the Son of God. This is what they uh, claim to be believing, and yet everything he says, they're still rejecting it. They're not letting it into their lives at all. They're not letting it actually change them. He says, you know, uh, if God were your Father, you would love me. Let me tell you, churches in this country are full of people who, if you were to give them a a uh, basic theology test about uh, who Jesus is. Is Jesus the Messiah? Yes. Is he the Son of God? Yes. Did he die for the sins of the world? Yes. And yet, they don't want anything to do with him. They don't want him messing with their lives. Definitely not on a daily basis, maybe for an hour a week. They don't really want him as king and Lord, in their own lives. This is the kind of people that Jesus is talking to, whether back then or today. If God were your father, you would love me. 
For I've come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. And then he finally gets down to the point of all this that he's been hinting at from the beginning. You claim Abraham's your father? No, you've got a different father. You claim God is your father? No, you've got a different father. Verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. I said at the beginning that this is some pretty uh, delicate heart surgery that Jesus is doing. And we walked through the passage this way, and here's the reason. If these people claim they believe in God, and Jesus just comes out and says, they believe in Jesus, and he says, no, you don't. They say, sure we do. But what he's done is he's walked them through and shown that by their actions, they have shown that they don't really believe in him. And that by their actions, what they're actually doing is following somebody else. They're following a different way. And he said, the way that you are following is the way that deals in lies, the way that deals in murder. And that shows where your heart really is and who it really belongs to and who it is that you reflect. Uh, He says that he's the father of lies. Tell us in a couple more chapters, you know, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. The one who has come uh, trying to steal the glory of God. To kill his people and destroy his creation. That has been uh, the MO of the evil one from the beginning. And Jesus says, but this is a different way. And unfortunately, the way of all humanity up to Jesus has been to follow that way. To try to steal God's glory for themselves, destroy his creation, and kill each other. But he says, this is a different way. And here's what it comes down to. This difference between um, a lie and the truth. The devil is the father of lies, right? When he lies, he's speaking his native language. This is what comes out. You will not surely die, the serpent says to Eve. But God said you would. The uh, words, truth and lie, unfortunately have become um, almost meaningless in our society today. We've applied them to politics in ways that basically means if I like it, it's the truth, and if I don't, it's a lie. (laughs) If I already agreed with it before I heard it, it's the truth. And if I don't, it's a lie. That's not what these words mean. These words are actually talking about how things, uh, the truth is that which which actually conforms to reality. How things actually are. 
And what Jesus is saying is the devil doesn't ever want you to know the true state of things. He does not want you to know the true state of things. He always wants to put an illusion and a mirage before you and make you believe that because you are a slave to sin. And if you know that you're a slave to sin, you might wake up and you might call out for freedom. And Jesus would be there to rescue you. But as long as you don't think that you're actually a slave, why would you call for help? As long as you don't think you're, you have a problem, why would you seek treatment? In the Jesus Storybook Bible, I've referenced this before. If you have not read it, I do recommend it. The Jesus Storybook Bible looks like it's for kids. It's for all ages. But there is a, uh, a part there at the beginning talking about the passage of Genesis 3. And the way that it describes what happens there is so helpful in understanding the human condition. When it talks about uh, Eve taking the fruit and eating it, and it says that then um, a great lie came into the world that has been whispered into every human heart ever since. And that lie is, God doesn't love me. That that is the lie that has been from the beginning going on in every human heart. And think about it. If Adam and Eve had believed that God really loved them, they really loved them, would they have taken the fruit? No, it was when the deception came in. No, God's trying to hold stuff, good stuff back from you. He doesn't want you to have good things. That's why they take the fruit, right? Why is it that we follow in ways that are not of God, but we go our own way instead? It's because whether for a long stretch of time or even in the moment we think, I'm on my own here. And if God doesn't love us, then it does become a world where might makes right. We've got to look out for number one. All those kinds of things. That is the way of the world. On the other hand, if we truly believe that God does love us, then we can live generously instead of grabbing for everything. Instead, we can use our words instead of uh, to try to tear people down so we can rise above. We can actually use our words to build up and encourage each other, right? Because understanding that in the family of God, as part of his family, there's no more competition there. The way of the world is all competition, but in the family of God, we can build somebody up without it feeling like a threat to our own selves. And our relationship to God, in fact, it doesn't threaten our relationship with God. That's something that actually strengthens it because that's what he does is giving of himself to build others up, right? This is the kind of thing you'll find uh, at the end of letters like Ephesians. Colossians, where Paul has been going through and saying, this is the actual state of the world. (laughs) God loves you this much. He sent his own son to die for you, to set you free. Now, understanding that, here's how you can live. And he'll go through these lists and say, you've got to take off these things that uh, you were wearing before when you were believing the lies of the evil one. That's not who you are anymore. If you are now a child of God, then you understand that he actually loves you and you live out of that love. Your homework. 
read these letters uh, of Paul and see how he describes all this. But here's the way that, uh, that Jesus puts it. Verse 31 again and 32. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. At the beginning of this passage, when he first says this, it does sound like it's something he's trying, he's using to kind of expose them, to show that they don't actually believe what they claim to believe. And on the one hand, that's true. On the other hand, he's also giving them the antidote to the problem, right? This is the prescription. Hold to my teaching. Don't just believe that, you know, Yes, Son of God, yes, Messiah. But think through the implications of that. Let me into your life that you would actually hear my word and it would make a difference. That you would hold to my teaching, that you would actually live these things out. uh, And that as you do so, you would really be my disciples. And as you're actually living these things out, then you'll really know that this is true. That this is the real state of things. That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And whoever believes in him, really believes in him, will not perish, but have eternal life. And the truth of that will set you free. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we do thank you. We thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you for your word and ask that you would um, work it into our hearts and lives. God, we have um, personal pride and kind of vested interest in protecting that and so rejecting your word. Lord, open our eyes. Open our eyes that we would see that rejecting your word is not the way to life, but only the way to death. Lord, we ask that you would uh, break down all the illusions, the mirages, the false uh, idols that we run after, the false versions of reality. God, help us to believe you. God, help us to believe uh, in who you are and in what you say. Help your word to make a difference in our lives that we would know the truth. The truth would set us free. that we would really be uh, your disciples, we would really be your children. We pray all this in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on 
earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.